Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers fashionably, I might add, this is where the best run. So welcome. Let me tell you what the title of today's episode is, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an, a reference, and then we'll talk about the episode. We're calling this Fashion Disruption, Goliath's Fall. Now, if anybody's not familiar with the story, let me just give you a quick overview, and then we'll get into what we're talking about today with the buzz quote as usual. The biblical account of David and Goliath is considered a lesson of courage, faith, and overcoming something that seems impossible. David was the youngest of Jesse's 12 sons. That was a big family. Nation of Israel was called to fight the Philistine army, a giant named Goliath over nine feet tall. Yes, I said this is a story. Came to the front of the battle line for 40 days. He had a sword and a spear. And hearing Goliath mock Israel and their god, David, little David, carried his slingshot and he gathered five smooth stones. He put a rock in his sling, swung at Goliath's head, and boom, the giant fell, and the rest I won't go into. He was felled by his own sword after that. So there's the story. Now let me give you the buzz on what we're talking about today, and you'll see how it all comes together. Here's the buzz. This is a quote from Nadia Koja. I found this quote on business.com. Fashion has stumbled along for years without a particularly influential infusion of new ideas. Oh, my. But all of that is changing, and it is happening quickly. So now you know we're talking about fashion. The barriers to entry for new fashion houses continue to drop. That means it's a lot easier to get into the industry. Digitally native fashion companies are arriving without any legacy process, tech issues. They're just building and going. Guess what? That means they can scale fast. And guess what that means? They can beat the big companies who are sitting there with a lot of stuff from years past and figuring, what are we going to do? We already invested in it. We're going to throw it away? I don't know. So there's one thing that's equal level playing field for all companies in fashion. Regardless of their size, their age, their maturity, their footprint, where they are, they have to get it right the first time or they're going to risk what we're calling game-ending losses and near-instant irrelevance. And who wants to be irrelevant in fashion? Everyone's getting disrupted. The disruptors and those who ride the wave will be the long-term winners. And I know what we're talking about today. Welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. So happy to be here. For those of you tuning in who also listened at 11 a.m. to our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers, you know we had a fashion topic as well. And two of those panelists are on the show today. Let me tell you who's joining me, and then we will get started. First up, we have a brand-new newcomer to Game Changers. His name is Noah Gelman, G-E-L-L-M-A-N. He is the co-founder and CEO of a company called The Lead and we'll find out later what he does. Joining him again, Oliver Stocks, liaison for the Apparel, Footwear, and Fashion ASUG user group at SAP. And rounding out the panel is our good friend Rick Barber, North American Industry Principal for Fashion Retail. 
Rick, that's a very long title. It must be a big business card at SAP. And Rick likes to refer to himself familiarly as a recovering merchant. And we might talk about that again today. So welcome to Noah, to Oliver, and to Rick. Thanks for joining me. Noah sent us a quote from Bob Marley. That's how we're going to open the conversation. Those of you a little, wondering a little about Bob Marley, his full name was Robert Nesta Marley. He died very young. He lived from 1945 to 81, a Jamaican singer-songwriter who became an international music and cultural icon, mostly blending reggae, ska, and rock steady in his compositions. He started out with the group The Wailers and then ended up independent. He was on the British album charts for 56 consecutive weeks, and he hit the top of the charts. And one of his albums was released three years after his death, and it became the best-selling reggae album of all time. So here's the quote Noah has selected. In this great future, we cannot forget our past. Noah Gelman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We are delighted to have you and welcome you as a newcomer. I love the quote. I enjoy Bob Marley music. I want to know, are you a Marley fan? And tell me, how in the world did you pick this quote talking about disruption in fashion? i got to hear this. So um, I think everyone's a fan, so uh, I think we could probably leave it at that at one point or another. Um, oddly enough, this is not the first time um, I've been asked for a quote and not the first time that I've given this one, as I think it uh, is somewhat universal and applies in, in many different areas, this being one of them. Um, you know, And I think in this bright future, you cannot forget your past, just speaks to the fact that, um, yes, the, uh, the barriers to entry are lower, Yes, there are more and more newcomers on the scene, but the reality is that the fundamentals have not changed that much. And uh, as we talk today a a little bit more about uh, the relationship between David and Goliath, I think we need to keep in the forefront of the conversation the fact that the bricks are the same, the fundamentals are the same, and we can't get caught up in the hype and what's shiny and new that's surrounding that. Very, very interesting. Now, forget not forgetting the past. I'm, I'm intrigued with that part of the quote, Noah. We cannot forget our past. Just quickly, any roots of fashion that today's disruptors need to remember? Is it you're not dressing for your window, you're dressing for how the customer feels, you're giving them a feeling of confidence or excitement, that you're creating a brand for them? What is part of the past that you think retailers should remember? You know, I, when I chose this quote, I was thinking it, about it from the perspective of CEOs that are running digital native fashion companies who are really charting the course to the future and in many ways driving the legacy brands and retailers need to shift um, and chase a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the message that I have been try- I was trying to send is that Many of these CEOs don't come from an apparel, accessory, footwear, beauty, home background, right? Ah. They come from a business school background. They come from a technology background. Um, And if we're not careful and we don't respect the fact that at the end of the day, these are fashion brands and fashion companies, um, we may stray a little too far from the mission. And that could somewhat jeopardize the longevity uh, of these digital native businesses themselves. 
Wow. Thank you. That was a, a great uh, level setting of who's actually running the companies. I appreciate that, Noah. Welcome again. Happy to have you on board. I know we're going to be able to get a lot more from your expertise during the show. I'm going to move around the table to the next seat, and Oliver Stocks is sitting there. Oliver has sent us a quote. Oliver, I don't think we've ever had a quote from this person ever, ever, ever in eight years of radio. It's Dr. Sigmund Freud. Uh, Sigmund Freud, 1856 to 1939. Talk about leaving a lasting impression and learning from your past. He was an Austrian neurologist and the founder of psychoanalysis, a clinical method for treating psychopathology through dialogue between a patient and a psychoanalyst. And typically today, I believe we call this talk therapy. I've certainly been through enough in my life. He qualified as an MD, doctor of medicine, in 1881 at the University of of Vienna. Um, I won't go into a lot, but if anybody's interested, uh, he postulated the existence of libido. We'll leave that one alone. And in the words of W.H. Auden's 1940 poetic tribute to Freud, Freud had created, quote, a whole climate of opinion under whom we conduct, conduct our different lives. Sounds a little awkward, but I think we know what he meant. So here's the quote Oliver has picked it from, oh, so much vast writing of Freud. Being entirely honest with oneself is a good exercise. Oliver Stocks, it's been, what, three hours since we've spoken. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks so much, Bonnie. Yeah, obviously a loaded quote. Um, we know that being honest with uh, yourself is extremely hard, and obviously Sigmund Freud explored all of that uh, to the nth degree. And obviously when we talk about companies nowadays and talk about uh, business objectives, business uh, as usual can no longer work. So change has to happen and change is hard. And we all know in order to drive change, you have to be honest about yourself where you are right now. Where am I now? Where do I need to go? And you know that it's not going to be easy to do that. So companies, as we experienced in the recent past, have not always been honest to themselves and the different parties within the companies may have not been honest to one another. And when you think about traditional companies that are maybe vertically integrated companies, you understand them as companies that have grown over the years to really big uh, corporations who have different lines of business and different matrix organizations that make sometimes communication extremely hard, and it makes it really hard to understand the origin of an issue or understand why, you know, the company's not uh, succeeding anymore. And when we talk about sales and operations planning, it's one of the most important things nowadays in order to get your overall company in check. We know how hard it is by understanding how the boundaries have been built over the years between the manufacturing, the wholesale, the retail, the e-com channel, and how hard it is to overcome all these issues by, by you know, having to have the open and honest discussion, get together at one, you know, together at one table and understand how to build that future. And therefore, you need to be honest, you need to be able to change, and you have to have the, 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 the toughness and the openness to actually do this uh, together in order to drive change and be successful in the future. Interesting, Oliver, that you put together toughness and openness. I wouldn't have imagined those going together. Do you, do you agree with, uh, with Noah's comment that most fashion CEOs come from a business background, not fashion? Do you think that's a plus or a minus, Oliver? I think that was a really good point, a very good observation. I've yeah. seen this in my history as well. The brands that came out of the 70s and 80s and often still exist but struggle were designer-born brands, companies that were built by the person who has the name on the brand. In the course of the years, especially when you have a company that's at the stock exchange, 
you know, we see a lot more business people come in, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of, you know, try to figure out how to make the company work, but, but then they do not have fashion experience or don't align with a co-president who is a designer. They sometimes struggle, in my experience as well. I totally agree with Noah. Thank you very much. Good point, Noah. Thank you. And uh, I told you we blend the ideas throughout the conversation, so thank you for that. Oliver, welcome back. And now let's move one more slot around the table to Mr. Rick Barber. We will find out later why he calls himself a recovering merchant. And Rick has selected a quote from Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, famous for so much, American inventor and businessman, 1847 to 1931, described as America's greatest inventor, credited with developing devices in fields like electric power generation, mass communication, sound recording, and motion pictures, and my goodness, he developed the phonograph. I actually uh, used that word, Rick, on a show about a year ago. Uh, Somebody else had this quote, and there was a, a young millennial on the panel, and I said to her, do you know what a phonograph is? And I kid you not, she said, I've heard the word, but I don't know what it is. I, I have nothing to, have nothing to say. I, I, I told her what it was, but I was just, I, I didn't think, I didn't think anybody didn't know. He developed the phonograph, the motion picture camera. We all have motion picture cameras called videos on our phones now. We carry them with us every day. And the long-lasting practical electric light bulb, basically Thomas Alva Edison impacted the modern industrialized world. We'll just leave it at that. Look him up if you want to know more. Here's the quote. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Rick Barber, it's been, what, three hours? I was speaking, speaking with you and Oliver a few hours ago on Coffee Break with Game Changers. What did you do with your three hours, Rick? Anything interesting you want to tell us? Bonnie, I uh, did get a, a run-in, which I, I committed to doing when Oliver shamed me into that with his Peloton comment, and then I uh, <laughs> spent the rest of the time working uh, and getting ready for, for this broadcast. So great to speak to you again. Thank you. You're very kind. Now tell me about this quote. Thomas Edison, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. What does this have to do with retail, the disrupt doors, the disrupt dead, the legacies, the non-legacies, the I'm going to be a fashion brand 10 minutes from now, watch out world, everybody. What, what, what is Freud saying to them? Uh, a couple of things this meant to me, right? I, I think that um, when you talk to these disruptor brands, and you know that they're the, the David going up against the, the Goliath of the legacy brands, they um, are serial entrepreneurs, and they are not afraid of failure. They mm. take the challenge on. They try to figure out what didn't work, uh, but they're very focused on getting to their goals. So I felt like when he said, I failed 10,000, I, I didn't fail. I found 10,000 ways that wouldn't work. He found one way that would work for each of those, what we would call transformational inventions, um, and that's what I feel when I talk to these uh, disruptor brands. They may not have succeeded at their first way to get to solve that problem, but that they uh, kept going at it. And the thing that I find is uh, also very interesting, it ties back to what Noah said, all of these uh, entrepreneurs that you talk to from a fashion perspective are trying to solve a problem. They're not trying to dictate a fashion. They're not trying to parlay their experience. Uh, in other fashion history that they may have had where you find designer doing that, they've identified a problem in the marketplace and they are trying to solve that. You think of Rent the Runway. You think of Ombus. Mm-hmm. You think of some of these brands that are out there working on a solution for a customer problem. One, not boiling the ocean with a thousand problems, but yeah. one problem, and you see the meteoric rise they have because they immediately have a captive audience. 
They've solved the problem for. And I love the fact that each of those those um, inventions by Thomas Edison, he's a Jersey boy like myself, so I've got to give a little <laughs> shout-out for that. He solved a problem. They needed electrical lighting in houses. They wanted to communicate with one another. He wanted to record the human voice so it could be spread further. He solved a problem and was able to take that to market. These folks are solving a problem from a fashion perspective or a beauty perspective, and they are immediately able to grab that market. Interesting. Let me ask you. I was going to ask you, but you you put something in there, Rick. What is the problem they're solving? Is the problem, I I hope this doesn't sound a little arrogant, or maybe it sounds silly. I'll, I'll rephrase that. It sounds silly, but... Do I need more LBDs in my closet, little black dresses, which for me are not that little anymore, but is, is that my problem? Is it that uh, somebody going to a party wants to make sure she or he are wearing something that nobody else in the room has? What is the problem that fashion is supposed to be solving? What do you think? You'll, uh, there's a million different examples, right? But you started with a little black dress, so, and I mentioned stick, run, the runway, so let's stick with that theme. I need to have clothing for... Um, uh, my job, which requires a great deal of formal function, but I don't make that kind of money. I need it uh, to be able to wear that dress, but I can't keep that dress. Well, in mm. years past, people would have thought that's heresy, right? I must own the dress and I've got to buy it and I'll eat, you know, uh, salads until I can get into it and I'll, I'll sprint on <laughs> other things to afford it. They were able to give you that, that same beauty level and that same level of expertise in the fashion without you having to put that in there. Think about if you're a professional woman and you need maternity clothes. You don't need them forever. Mm-hmm. You just need them for those months where you're going to be going to work, but you That's still right. need to dress up. They've now done maternity career wear. So they're solving problems for customers and at the same time inventing a whole new mindset. Thank you. You were right on the ball there. I appreciate that. Let, let me go around the table and ask the same question to Noah and then Oliver, and then we'll find out a little bit more about the three of you. Noah Gelman, in your opinion, your vantage point at the lead, we'll give you a few minutes, in a few minutes, to talk about your company. What problems, in your opinion, is fashion charged or tasked with solving today? What do you think? It's a good question. That's very broad. Um you know, I think I would look at it slightly differently, and maybe I okay. can even rephrase the question a little bit. Sure. But um, and, and to maybe share a little bit more when it comes to problem solving, you know, in terms of what Rick mentioned, and I really like the fact that he was speaking about Thomas Edison, um, because in my opinion, Thomas Edison was like the original Silicon Valley entrepreneur. And hmm. when we talk about the fact that he did not fail, but he found, you know, 10, 20,000 ways um, to do things differently. What he was also doing during that time period was he was faking it till he made it, right? Till or thread it till he made it. So he was really an individual who embodied this notion of Silicon Valley. These are entrepreneurs. These are people who are casting a big shadow. These are people who are trying to make their companies look larger than they really are. And this is a practice that's been that's been true of technology companies for years and years. And when we talk to these digital native brands specifically, when you ask them, when, when you just closed a $700,000 seed round, you just closed a $6 million Series A, what are you doing with this money? For the most part, we're putting it into marketing, right? We're mm-hmm. building our brand. We're building our presence. So I think the first thing, when I know we're talking about problems, but I would actually turn this around and say, let's understand a little bit more about 
what these companies are and who it is that we're dealing with. And I think the other thing, um, just relating back to some of the other statements that were made, um, is that there are two types of companies we're talking about here, right? There, there are designer-driven businesses, and there are what I will call companies. And those designer-driven businesses, again, there are fabulous designers, whether they're part of um, the CFDA or similar organizations that are creative-first and creative-led, and the barrier entry for them to post their collection through a simple e-commerce platform, that's, that's very straightforward. Of course, there's sourcing and there's design and there's a lot of other elements that go into it, but bringing your product to market is pretty straightforward. For companies that are raising tens of millions of dollars, companies that have large staff and large payrolls and, and serious burn rates, um, they're in a totally different league and a totally different category, and they need to operate their businesses, you know, more like an SAP level, for example, right, where they need to take this very seriously. So um, I think it's important on the call for us, us to differentiate between who's a designer driven business and who's a venture backed digital native vertical brand because those are different conversations and it's those digital native vertical brands that are very astute in the Silicon Valley entrepreneurial principle of fake it till you make it. Thank you very much though. Very interesting. Oliver, let's get your take on this and then we'll go around with the front end personal questions. Where are you calling from? What's your favorite drink? And what do you do in your role? So Oliver, what are your thoughts on what kinds? I'm going to go back to my question because I know Rick, I'm curious to follow the thread that Rick started and I appreciate all of the extra background that Noah gave us. Uh, Oliver, what kinds of problems do you think they're solving? What do we as consumers want them to solve for us? Yeah, this is a really good question, especially since so much was said already that I all agree with and it was very eloquently explained. I think one um, really big aspect I see nowadays is the desire for uh, individuals to be part of a community, part of a team, mm-hmm. part of a campaign, part of a theme. And what I see what fashion is uh, more and more doing is personalizing um, you know, fashion in order to make people feel special, but maybe also belonging to a larger group of people. So when I compare what we're just talking about with what I experienced with my daughter, who's 12, she surfs a lot on YouTube and follows a lot of people in the beauty arena. And those mm-hmm. people in the beauty arena recommend a certain fashion, and then it's a must-have. It's an immediate must-have in terms right. of uh, what is being presented. So that doesn't solve an immediate problem that we perceive as a, a you know, human nature problem, but it's a new culture we're living in where people want to belong, where people want to um, be part of a new wave or be cool and new. And uh, yeah, our businesses need to be able to be nimble and quick and fulfill these new requests from a larger audience that wants to have things now as opposed Thank to you. waiting 18 months. That's what I was looking for, that make for me one-on-one. And I think we spoke on the other show earlier, Oliver. Were you the one with the Peloton and you wore the the P on your workout clothes and that makes you part of a, a, a sense of belonging, a tribal mentality? Yeah. A, Yes, and, and, and that's really, really important. Plus, we, we also talked a little bit about um, 
seeing fashion, and I'm putting big quote marks around that, seeing fashion on TV or on the web at the Grammys or at the CMAs or at the, the Oscars and saying, oh, I want that, or maybe I don't. I want that. When can I have it? Where can I get it? Do I have to buy it? Do I have to rent it? Do I have to subscribe to it? Which was part of Brick's comment. So thank you all. That was a, a good round. We're not even in the round table yet. Noah Gelman, let's get to know you a little bit better. Please, Noah, a couple questions. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite beverage that powers you? And number three, tell us a little bit about what is the lead and how did you come to create this company? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so I'm in New York City, which is where the lead is headquartered. Um, I am a, uh, I'm a black coffee person and uh, occasionally an iced tea person, but that's how I make it through my day. Um, And in terms of the lead, um, so, you know, what we do as a company is focus on bridging the fashion and retail industry with the global Silicon Valley. So as in really a media company and an organization, um, we do research, we have a quarterly publication, and we do a series of executive events, um, our flagship event being the Lead Innovation Summit, which is a two-day event for a 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and our community is really built around kind of iconic brands and retailers, um, small, medium, and, you know, the largest of the large. Uh, digital native brands, which obviously we've been speaking a lot about already on this call. Um, CEOs of venture-backed startups who are creating technology for the fashion and retail industry, whether that innovative technology is for marketing or supply chain or in-store or material sciences or e-commerce. We look at every bit of innovation within that value chain. And really, we bring those three core groups together along with investors and deal makers and academics and press to really form a community that together can tackle this unique challenge that fashion is facing. And we look at fashion as a subset of retail. And in the world of retail, um, e-commerce and, and digital centricity is not a new thing, right? Um, Home Depot and Lowe's and others have been doing this for 20 years. Uh, but the problem is, is that when a Home Depot was investing tens of millions of dollars into IT and digital commerce, um, Club Monaco was posting a PDF of their lookbook online. And I think what, what we've seen, and I'm sure Oliver and Rick can have seen this firsthand as well, is that there was a gap in the speed at which the fashion industry was willing to move. And because of that lack of speed, we saw an opening not only for these digital native brands um, to capture uh, a piece of the market, but also we now see the fashion industry playing a little bit of catch-up. And I will say, I think they're doing a very good job at this point of laying the framework and the foundation to catch up. Nevertheless, we want to bring a community together that helps this industry thrive and for all the pieces to fit into place so that we can move the industry forward. Thank you very much, Noah. Pleasure to have you on the show. Oliver Stocks, let's go with you with the same three questions. Where are you today? What's your favorite drink? I'd love a little detail, as you know. And what have you been up to in your role at SAP? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So I'm calling in from my home office uh, in Boston, outside of Boston, in Dover, Massachusetts. And we still have snow on the ground, so I'm looking forward to uh, the spring to come mm-hmm. soon. My favorite drink right now in the early afternoon is a really good, nice glass of San Pellegrino sparkling water. 
Mm. Um, sparkling water from San Pellegrino, north of Bergamo in Italy, reminds me of uh, really nice landscapes and really nice weather. So looking forward to the spring. Uh, for my role at SAP, I've been with SAP for 21 years now, and my focus has always been on the apparel, footwear, and fashion space. Uh, the original role was more on the consulting side, on the education side, when I was working back in Germany until 2001. And then I moved to the States to focus on customer success and the rollout of our newest SAP solutions for the fashion community here in the States. I've been now for about 16 years the liaison to the SAP user group, where I work with companies um, of any uh, status or um, implementation status with SAP, from pre-sales to implementation and post-sales. And my whole emphasis here in, in this role at SAP is to make sure our customers understand the solutions we have understand which consulting partner can help them to implement the solutions and making sure that they're happy in the end working and focusing on their own business and don't have to worry about IT. Thank you very much. Very important role. Appreciate that. Welcome back. Rick Barber, it's up to you, Mr. Recovering Merchant. Uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Where are you? I'll, I'll never forget you put that in your bio, Rick. Where are you today or right now? I know where you were three hours ago. Where are you today? What's your favorite beverage? Has it changed in the past three hours, Rick? And why don't you update our listeners on what you're doing these days? Bonnie, uh, it's nice to be back on the air with you. I am uh, typically out of New York, but today I'm in sunny uh, Las Vegas, uh, looking out over the desert landscape, but there is some snow on the mountaintop, so Oliver, you feel like you're at home here. Um, <laughs> I am here for the Zappos Adaptive Fashion Show, which SAP is one of the sponsors, so very excited and proud to be a part of that. Um, I am drinking another cup of coffee as I start my day. I will continue to keep drinking coffee uh, all day long, which probably explains why I have a sleeping disorder as well, but... Um, it is my beverage of choice, and I am uh, the industry principal for fashion and retail. Uh, I describe myself as a recovering merchant because I grew up uh, in the industry for the almost 30 years now, um, always as a, a technology user, so as a buyer, merchant, planner, um, you know, uh, senior leader, uh, always using the technology to drive the sales. Uh, it's interesting for me to be on this side of the table. My role here at SAP um, is to work with our customers and the industry to understand what what problems they're facing today and how technology can help them, uh, and to work with our teams back in Germany and, and around the world who are developing those solutions that have real-world applications. Um, and sometimes a bit of a software whisper explaining to the retailers just what these very technical, smart people are saying, uh, and vice versa to put it in sort of retailing. So uh, very excited to be back with you and, and with the group here on the, on the panel. Thank you, Rick. And before I let you go, before we take a very, very quick break, I uh, you have mentioned today twice on two shows with me Zappos Adaptive Wear, and I'm on the site now, which is let's see what I've got here: Zappos dot com slash the letter e slash adaptive. And I know Stephen Sparrow, the sponsor of this series, my colleague at SAP, is with you in Las Vegas, I believe. And adaptive, I see here inclusion function, fashion, and community, covering a lot of what the three, the four of us have been talking about already, but the word inclusion is there. Can you just give us a quick overview of what this means? And I see Tommy Hilfiger also has an adaptive line. What's included in and this certainly is disruptive, or is this is helping people not be disrupted by fashion that doesn't work for them and their capabilities, should we say it that way? Rick, tell me a little bit about the adaptive line, please. Yeah, it's a... a- a very uh, great honor to be a part of this opportunity. The S- the Adaptive Fashion Show is exactly what it says. These are 
people who are just as interested in fashion and looking good and feeling good, uh, but they struggle with the challenges of, you know, their limitations. So maybe they can't button a shirt, so the shirt has snaps on it. Maybe they can't tie their shoes, so they've got Velcro in it. Maybe they need to be sitting in a chair, so they need to have comfortable clothes that can expand to be in that chair. So this show and the runway show, uh, which is sponsoring it called Runway of Dreams that, that Zappos has, is literally just that. It'll be some of the best fashion designers, Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein. There are numerous brands out there working with these people to help them include them in these great fashion trends. So you'll see some of the great, same great looks you would see on any runway. You're just going to see them adapted so that everybody can be a part of it. So it's a very exciting opportunity to be a part of that. Very, very. Thank you so much. I just thought our listeners would like to know since we keep talking about it. For those of you out there wondering who I am, oh, you know already, Bonnie D. Graham, uh, SAP Game Changers Radio. I am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, and this is a double header with two shows a few hours apart. So all I'm drinking is cool, clear water. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, looking out at an absolutely beautiful, clear blue sky. We have a 30 to 50 degree temperature range every day. So today it's not quite that extreme. Well, up at 37 degrees and it might get up to the high 50s and it's going to be down to 31 tonight. The plants are confused, that's all I'll say but a lot of things are blooming already I don't know what the ground feels like underneath we're going to take a very quick break talking about a very interesting topic, fashion disruption, Goliath's fall. When we come back we'll be speaking some more with Noah Gelman at the lead, Oliver Stocks at SAP, Rick Barber at SAP and we'll be talking about who the Goliaths are and why and how fast and how far they're falling. Like the old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Can they? So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be right back. 90 seconds. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Seismic shifts occurring across all consumer-facing industries are driving traditional retailers and brands to radically rethink their business models. A new breed of leaders is emerging who have the courage, conscience, and creativity to champion innovation in their organizations. Game-Changing Retail Leaders brings you insights from these radical change agents who anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and snap their companies out of the past. They drive fundamental strategic and structural transformations within their organizations to create new business models. They innovate game-changing partnerships, cultural shifts, sustainability strategies and technologies to create new consumer value propositions. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear from retail leaders who are driving radical innovation and transformative change within their companies to evolve their strategy on customer engagement and the overall customer experience. Game-Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
listening to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Retail Leaders. Here we are. We're back with Noah Gelman at The Lead, Oliver Stocks, and Rick Barber at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie. We're starting off the roundtable formally with a statement that Noah Gelman sent to me before the show. Very interesting. We are talking about the Goliaths of fashion falling. And my question to the panel in general was, they're falling. Can they get up? Should they get up? Do they want to get up? Are they able to get up? So we'll see if we can approach that through the roundtable statements my panelists sent me before the show. Here's what Noah said. While the barrier to entry for brands is lower than it once was, everybody has the same tools and the same abilities. What is different is the economics of marketing and the ability to target. Noah, please unpack this for us, as they say on the news shows. Take about two, two and a half minutes, and then we'll see what Oliver and Rick have to say. Go ahead, Noah. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, Bonnie, I think you chose a great statement. Um, And uh, happy to unpack. So... Really high-level stuff, right? Um, the buying journey, once upon a time, very linear. There's marketing, there, you know, a billboard or television. There's a call to action. People are motivated by a discount or a sale or whatever it is. They go into a store. They're met by an associate. They're guided towards their product. Maybe they pick up something else. They walk over to um, the point of sale. They swipe their credit card. It goes in a bag. They go home. Really simple, really easy to say, I discount this much. I drive this traffic, I discount this much, whatever it is, I drive this, this traffic. Um, now, the buying journey happens, you know, a dozen different ways, and the point of purchase in is, a, is in a dozen different places. So this means that the power of media has shifted tremendously, right? So the first thing is understanding that all of these new ways of interacting and finding points of sale with your customer are new and available to everyone, whether that's in an Instagram ad or that's um, e-commerce, or that's even um, Amazon, you know, suggesting that you buy an alternative product at your um, point of transaction, available to everyone. Um, The other thing that's really happened is that Facebook and Google in particular have created a level playing field for reaching uh, people and essentially eyeballs um, anywhere that they are. Everyone has the ability to spend money on Facebook. Everyone has the ability mm-hmm. to spend money on Google and so on and so forth. That being said, what's changed over the last year, year and a half, is that the cost of customer acquisition, the cost of media, the cost of advertising on Facebook and on Google in turn as well has risen quite a bit to the point where um, the cost of customer acquisition has become higher. So again, everyone has access to the same tools, but companies with larger marketing budgets and media budgets today have a little bit of an advantage. I'll let you decide whether that's good for the digital native or for the um, kind of incumbent uh, iconic brands. And then I'll just tie that back to what I said earlier, which is that when we see these digital natives raise their first round of significant financing, they put that money directly into marketing. So, you know, I'll kind of pitch this to Rick and to Oliver and see kind of what their thoughts are as well on how this money is spent, how effective it is, and how even the playing field is. Thank you, Noah. Good setup. Oliver Stocks, you're sitting next to Oliver. Next to you're sitting next to Oliver. You are Oliver sitting next to Noah around the table. Oliver, what are your yeah. thoughts on uh, barriers to entry and the tools and abilities and marketing? 
Yeah, I think uh, Noah has a really good point there. When we look at the um, portfolio that we support, for example, from SAP, we see a very strong shift to the cloud. So we see a very strong, a strong move to available standard software that can be consumed in a different way than it once was. So when you talk about the comparison at this point, getting access to a software-as-a-service type solution in order to start your business and having financials controlling, reporting, order to cash, procure to pay in check by leveraging best practices that are being delivered with the SAP solution, you can really focus on the heart and soul of your business. And that should be the design, the marketing aspect, the brand aspect. And, you know, why do you think you have a competitive edge? And that competitive edge should no longer be the software. At this point, at least for newcomers, for people who are going into business now, there are a lot of new solutions available out of the box that allow them to start their business and focus on their, um, on their brand development. Thank you. Rick Barber, talk to me. Yeah, I, you know, I have to tag on to what Oliver just said, right? These are, again, entrepreneurs who are passionate about whatever this, you know, say it's a problem they're solving or a commodity that they've designed. And, you know, their, their attention and their, their staff is built around delivering that product. Once they get to a point where scale, which is, again, very, very easy these days as opposed to what it was in the old brick-and-mortar days, they've got to have a foundation, and they have to sort of double back to that foundation before they can take that sort of leap to the next level. You know, as, all, as um, uh, Noah said, that, you know, they'll go through several rounds of financing, whether it's angel funding in the beginning or, you know, you know the different series as they get larger and larger. But, you know, after that first or second round, one of, the, one of the very wise things they tend to do is go back and put those, those infrastructures in place that can allow them to continue their focus on the deliverables to their customers and their brand. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that, that we see enabling them to get to that next big level. Thank you, Rick. Noah, anything you want to add to this part of the conversation before I move on with some statements from Oliver? You know, I'll just, I, I, as a technologist, um, you know, kind of a person with a, a technology background and considering myself a technologist, um, all of the statements are very relevant. You know, when I look back at technology or even startups being funded in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, it would take tens of millions of dollars to get a company to the point that today takes a million or $2 million. And the reason for that are everything that was mentioned, cloud computing, automated tools, you know, improved processes. Um, and you got to ask yourself, if the, if the playing field from a technology perspective is leveled, of course there are different qualities of, of partners and vendors, but for the most part leveled, what is it that's enabling some companies to push forward while other ones are getting hung up and left behind? Mm-hmm. Very well put. Thank you very much. Oliver, I'm looking at your notes. Let's talk about the role of social, social media and startups entering in and the, the Davids with the slingshot and the smooth stones and the great aim. So you say social media allows startups in fashion to establish new brands rapidly. Influencers drive the desire for anything new. So let's talk about this, Oliver, in terms of the Goliaths falling and the Davids rising up. What is your thought? Yeah, what we see right now in the marketplace is really amazing. So from my perspective, I'm gladfully seeing it in my own daughter. So there's completely new ways on perceiving and understanding what's going on in the world. And, you know, who, who do I trust in? Who do I listen to? And in the modern world, you would say, who do I follow? 
obviously based on our jobs at SAP and, and overall in business, we're all linked in and we're all working on social media in a way to share what we do and share what we're passionate about. But what we see the end consumers do is really look at uh, YouTube videos, look at uh, like other Instagram and other uh, tools and um, going into a completely different world where they learn what other kids do, what other young adults do, and then they're followed by the millions, um, especially in the beauty arena. I see a lot of brands pop up where you think the market is completely full. Where's there space for a new brand? But there is. And those um, entry barriers that Noah talked about are no longer there. So companies can pick a you know, cloud solution and get online very quickly and start building a brand out and a business out that would support this new vibe. And you need to make sure that you maintain you know, this whole marketing campaign. You be consistent with your messaging, be consistent with your influences and ensure that you ultimately build out a brand that leads to more than just beauty, from beauty to fashion, from fashion to maybe, you know, um, articles, news, overall more attention to a, a new brand. So it's a very new world we're living in. Social media play a very significant role, especially for the newest generation, the Gen Z. And I think the influencers will really play a really large role going forward. And that will really honestly have a big impact on the old brands. You know, they, they're perceived mm -hmm. as being dusty. They're not really yes. engaged enough. Um, they're too difficult to work with at times. And the new upcoming brands, you know, use all kinds of technologies so quickly and nim nim in a nimble fashion so that they really threaten the established brands nowadays. Can the Goliaths get on board the social media train, Oliver? I'm just going to ask you this quickly and then make that part of when we go around the table, see what Rick and Noah have to say. What do you think? Are, are they nimble enough, use the word? Are they agile enough? Do they have enough, oh, I'll just say it, millennials on their teams to say, yeah, we can go out and conquer this social media battle. We can bring our brand back into the forefront and make everybody love us and want to follow us. Is that possible? Yeah. Well, to tie it back to my opening quote, if these large brands are honest to themselves and they understand the need for change, then they will be able to also get into this. But they will be a sweet spot for any brand. But I think those large ones will get back into it because they have the means, they have the large name, but they will need to establish an organization that can be that nimble as those newcomers. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Rick Barber, chime in, please. What do you think? Yeah, it's um, it's it's going to be an uphill battle, Bonnie, to be honest with you. And they have to, to Oliver's point, right, um, or they're going to become irrelevant. It's just very challenging to develop a we've, we've internally started to call a, um, a startup mentality that you, you find when you talk to these large brands that are legacy brands, they're so big. There's almost an inertia that just continues to propel them regardless of the marketplace. But they are trying to develop that disruptor mentality and these, by creating SWAT teams within their organization, say, okay, we're going to charge this group of people with understanding junior sportswear, understanding natural beauty, understanding you know home appliances, whatever the business is. And they're built if they're if if they're doing it successfully, they're building this this startup mentality from within, so that it can then be sort of brought to scale as they do it. But those who are continuing to try to do it sort of from a Top down and dictate those those styles or fashions or trends uh, will be sorely missing the opportunity to really listen. You hear a lot of customers say, "I want to hear my customer. I want to hear him." But and the technology is there to hear every word they're saying. The question is, are they willing to listen? Are they really listening to what mm -hmm. you're saying, or are they just hearing it and then you know sort of filtering it out? Thank you. Good reality check, Noah Gelman. Please join us. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So many. 
<laughs> I'm sure you go can ahead. imagine. Two minutes, um, go ahead. I'll, yeah, I'll focus on, on, on two. Um, look, there's two macro trends that we see, which is just going to make it continually more difficult for these kind of Goliaths, as you put it, to shift on a dime. Um, one is there are more and more companies popping up. We're talking about a low barrier to entry, right? And there are going to continue to be more and more entrepreneurs starting fashion and digital native brands for two reasons. One, you're going to see a whole host of IPOs this year, Airbnb, Lyft, Uber, Pinterest, et cetera, right? What's going to happen? Many minted millionaires. What are those millionaires going to do? They're going to fund companies. Who are they going to fund? Entrepreneurs with great ideas who want to create digital native brands. What's it going to take? Not a whole lot of money. What's it going to mean? More noise and more for these Goliaths to deal with. At the same time, right, and Rick was really alluding to this, these Goliath companies are talking about, and, and I want to, you know, really give credit to a good friend of mine, David Kidder, who recently released a new book called New to Big, where he outlined this exact phenomenon. Um, these Goliath companies are really good at going from big to bigger. That's how they're structured. That's how they're built, right? Built, take up something that's big and make it bigger. What they're not particularly good at is going from new to big, creating new concept, creating new internal startups, as Rick said, and then turning those into something big, which in turn can be plugged in to go from big to bigger. So what is, what's going to connect these two pieces? I think that's what the company needs to understand, um, whether it's a new approach at corporate development, whether it's a new approach at technology, whether it's a new approach at culture and different people in different places, there's going to be a disconnect that needs to be solved. Thank you very much. Noah, what's interesting is you mentioned the book, and I just Googled it, so I'm just going to mention it to, to my listeners. New to Big, and the subtitle is How Companies Can Create Like Entrepreneurs, Invest Like VCs, and Install a Permanent Operating System for Growth. It's by David Kidder, K-I-D-D-E-R, with Christina Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Anybody interested? Serial entrepreneurs David Kidder and Christina Wallace reveal their revolutionary playbook for igniting growth inside established companies. Thank you for the reference. And Noah, I don't know if you realized it, but you just gave me your prediction for the crystal ball. So I'm going to move on right now and let Oliver give his prediction because we only have four and a half minutes left to the show. So Oliver, crystal ball time officially. Please look into the crystal ball and tell me Goliath, David's popping up, bowing out or being trampled on. What do you see as the future fashion of fashion retail? Go ahead, Oliver. Yeah, I, I think the Goliath will continue to struggle, um, and we will see a lot more companies out there, a lot more new brands that come out there and provide an incredibly um, fantastic customer experience, and that's what it will all be about. How can I make sure that I make it exciting to go shopping? How can I make it exciting to wear or buy this brand? And how can I feel the sense of community? I think that's what I want to come back to. That's ultimately something that will always be there. And if the Goliaths are able to... Uh, leverage the space they have in their stores to create an experience, then they might have a chance, but they will have to move forward very soon. Let, let me ask you a question because we have a little more time for you. And Rick, you're waiting, I know, eagerly with your prediction. Oliver, do you think this is breaking news for the retailers, for the Goliaths? Would they tune into a radio show like this and say, wow, these guys really sound smart. Noah Gilman, <laughs> never heard of him. Boy, he's really sounding good. And Oliver and Rick, I've heard them before, but I can't believe what they're saying. OMG, this is my wake-up call, my call to action. Do you think this is breaking news? No, this is totally not breaking news. But it's just extremely difficult for a large organization that has grown over the years and made a lot of acquisitions or however they were growing to adjust. Um, it will take some very quick decisions 
And we see, you know, stores close. We see no locations popping up, though, mm-hmm. right? So when we look at statistics, we might have seen 8,000 stores clo- close in the recent uh, period, but we saw also 6,000 new, uh, new stores open up. When you go to the Hudson Yards offices uh, and the Neiman Marcus and the mall right next to Hudson Yards number 10, where our SAP offices are located in Manhattan, you see a whole new world of retail. It's beautiful. It's an incredibly entertaining mm-hmm. experience to walk around. Yes. You're not being pushed to buy anything. You're just there to experience, and it's a wonderful experience. So it's not that. I think there's ways to do this. It's not new either. It will just take a little time until this behemoth is able to adjust. Thank you. You took my word. I'm always calling enterprises behemoths. Thank you. Rick Barber, I saved ooh, two minutes for you for prediction. Gobble them up. Go ahead, Rick. Okay, here goes. I think that you will find, I'll be very specific, you will find one behemoth or a Goliath that will come to the brink of extinction this year. This will be a very transformative year. Um, well, you, you know, you just asked Oliver, do you think this is new news? No, but I think they are finally getting to the point where others are falling off the cliff around them. There will be one big Goliath that will come to the brink of extinction this year, which will force the change that the the subtle cultural changes has not been able to have. And I believe that one Goliath will have some very strange bedfellows as partners as the sort of online and brick and mortar experience continues to only become the experience. Uh, You will see a a, a bunch of strange bedfellows happening in the marketplace, but I think that one will, will, will shock everyone. Do you want to give us the initials of the first letter of the name of the company or something, Rick? I'm pretty sure that my contract with SAP precludes me from doing that. Fair but enough. Everybody in the industry knows who we're talking about. So there's a lot of things going on out there behind the scenes this year. Uh, only better delivery for the customer, better shopping experiences ahead, uh, just but very different the way it looks today in March. Okay, thank you very much. Let me ask each of you, we have one minute left before I have to close. Let me ask you each a kind of a personal fashion question. Is there a tribe or a brand, something you're wearing in your life now in 2019 that you first saw on social media or on one of the award shows? Noah Gelman, quickly. Yes. Can you tell me what it is? Um, that I'm wearing right now. Um, or this year. <laughs> Oh, this year. I mean, there's so many brands that I love to shop that are online. I, I honestly, as someone who tries not to take sides in any of this, I would prefer not to take. But if you take a look at our foremost 50 list, which is our list of the top 50 digital native brands in the space, um, if they if they create a line for men, they're probably in my pro- in my closet. Thank you very much, Oliver Stocks. Quickly, what brand did you see or hear about online that you love and that you adopted? Yeah, not not brand new this year, but for me, it was new. It's the Peloton brand. Yes, you mentioned that on the previous show. Rick, I'm sorry, hit my mic. Rick Barber, I'm so excited. Rick, what's a brand you love that you first saw online? Uh, you know what? It's a non-branded shoe company, a sneaker company called Grace. There's an amazing amount of development out there in the sort of athleisure footwear brands. As a guy who grew up wearing Nike and Adidas and, and, and as an athlete, it's, it's fascinating to me, and I probably have 20 pairs, my wife would have uh, of sort of unbranded <laughs> athleisure uh, sneakers, so I've, and I've started wearing them to work. Thank you. We'll have to ask your wife if it's just 20, but there we go. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Stephen Sparrow at SAP. I know you're at the Zappos Adaptive uh, Expo, or or I know there's a fashion shoot. You were working on some PR, and I think it's great. Stephen Sparrow, thank you for putting together this very, very smart panel. Appreciate it. Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, thank you so much. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, and I still want to know where I can order a designer seatbelt. I'm into polka dots right now, 
black and white. What can I tell you? A little red dot here and there. So fasten your seatbelt, whatever it looks like. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Noah Gelman at The Lead, just like Oliver Stocks at SAP, and just like Rick Barber at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.